Hey listener, welcome to the Comic Relief Podcast. Hope you survived the experience. The Comic Relief Podcast is an unscripted discussion about the pop culture surrounding comic books with your hosts, Uncanny Thomas Logue and Mighty Michael Moran. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to discuss independent comics. So you have your your big two. You have Marvel. You have DC. There's other companies out there besides Marvel and DC. You know the folks that, that put out Superman and and Spider Man and those really big names. So we're going to talk about a few of these independent comics, independent comic companies, something other than the big two, the big deuce. This is a um, an interesting topic because for the longest time it's been the big two. You know they, they have the biggest market share of Marvel and DC, right? Too, and there's always um, you know, these other companies that are trying to just get a piece of that pie. Some smaller companies have gotten to the point where they, they do have, you know, a pretty decent market share. Uh, Marvel and DC do hold such a huge piece of that market share and of that pie. You know, even the competition has gotten to the point where their characters and their books are actually making big box office bucks and, and becoming staples in the, uh, you know, in the comic world overall. You know, I don't pick up a lot of independent, but there is a lot. When I go to the comic store, I see a lot more independent oh, titles yo, than I yeah. used to. Before it was just heck Marvel, yeah. DC, mm-hmm. maybe one or two independent. Mm-hmm. Like you might see Judge Dredd or something like that. Yeah. But now you see that it's rows and rows mm-hmm. and rows of independent comics yeah. out there. You know, I think the reason for that, obviously the popularity of comics is, is skyrocketed since they've kind of come to the, the mainstream of pop culture. But before that, if you were a freelance artist, a freelance writer, your main goal was to to work at Marvel or DC and do the X-Men and do Batman. Yeah. And uh, there wasn't a lot of money in, you know, the smaller publications. If you got on Avengers or X-Men or something like that, or Superman or Batman, mm-hmm. your name was suddenly known oh, by yeah. everyone. That was, it. That was it. You were that there. Was, you that made was your it. staple. Yeah. But uh, what happened, you know, at, at one point, a lot of these guys got their names known, right? You got guys, you got guys like Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, you know, these... Mark Silvestri. Mark Silvestri, absolutely. What happened was a lot of these guys got their names known. They had some really well-selling comics for the big publishers, but they were still essentially freelance artists and writers. Right. You know, they, they were still... Yeah. None of the copyrights. They own none of those copyrights. So they were getting, you know, a certain dollar percentage from each book, you know, they, they sold off the shelf. So what happened was a few of these guys decided one day that they were going to uh, start their own company. And that's essentially how Image Comics was born. Some of these top tier guys like Todd McFarlane, like Jim Lee, broke off. They decided to create their own company. The company was a creator-driven company where anything that you created as an artist or a writer, you owned 100% of the rights to. Uh, Image doesn't own any of the uh, creators' works. Uh, the creators own it. Also, they wouldn't interfere in any direction that I- any of these artists wanted to go in. An artist could create his character, for example, as, as Todd McFarlane created Spawn, which was really popular Huge, for Image. Popular. Huge. You know, they made movies, they made cartoons, they made toys. He actually owns everything. Owns everything. Yeah, which yeah. is really cool. And the, the cool thing is, like an example of Spawn, that it made Todd McFarlane so much money oh, that he has his own toy line. You know, oh, like, yeah. he creates his own Spawn figures. Oh, yeah. And they're highly detailed. Yeah. You know, they're, I would say they're better than the, uh, you know, like the X-Men figures and the oh, Avenger yes. figures that you see because yeah. they're very static. Yeah. But the Spawn figures have all this muscle and detail. Yeah. And I, I think that's a result of like a, an artist or, a, you know, a, someone that's a fan first gets creative control of, of their creation, creation, their yeah. company, you know, where it's not just a suit that's just kind of cutting it out to see how they can make the cheapest toy, you yeah. know, the most amount. The cookie the, cutter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... Uh, you get McFarlane toys, which are just—I mean—they're known. They have the reputation for being some of like the, the most detailed, right? Toys for you know for that price range, you know. Yep, it's very, very, very cool. It's, it, was, it spawned a lot of a lot of cool creations. And another thing about Image Comics is that uh, Image is the umbrella company. They're the logo. They they publish the books. But each one of these creators, they have their own company yeah. within Image. Yeah. Right. So there was a Top Cow. Which is Mark Silvestri. Mark Silvestri. Uh, Jim Lee had Wildstorm. Wildstorm. McFarlane, of course, had McFarlane. Rob Liefeld had Extreme. They essentially, they run their own little company within the bigger publisher, which is a really, really cool concept. And because of that, we've gotten some really 
really, really, really good stories. And I would say that Image Comics now breaks into the ranks of the top the three. Top three. Yeah, it's I agree. not just Marvel and DC anymore. It's mm. now Marvel, DC, and Image. Yeah. Oh, I agree. So. I agree. I mean, they made their first splash in I think it was '92. That was when the the first wave of Image Comics came out. And I mean, it was more of an artist-driven company than a uh, than a story-driven company. I mean, essentially, what they were selling was um, really cool concepts and characters and cover art. And but the stories weren't very deep. There are some exceptions, of course, but for the most part, these were um, more artists than uh, than writers. The art in the Image Comics back then was top of the line. Yeah. Some of the stories, though, you know, they were they were fine, but it was really all about the art. Oh, absolutely, it was all about the art. So there, there's been a couple of um, incarnations. I, I won't even say incarnations because Image never really went away. They went through their struggles. There was a little bit of infighting between them, but since then they've kind of uh, steadied the ship. They've kept kind of the same style of running the company. The creators still own their works. Uh, no one tells them what they can or what they can't write. And what's really cool is you are a, an independent um, freelance artist, or if you have an idea you can actually submit your idea to them on the website they'll review it you still have a chance to own what whatever you create, you create. Yeah. yeah if it sells well and if it you know if it gets hot you can take your characters to the top i would say arguably one of the biggest recent works to come from image comics is the walking dead yeah that, obviously with all the popularity that oh it has my goodness if you haven't heard of the walking dead yeah I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's not even comics either. You know, The Walking Dead is on TV now. It's like one of the number one shows on the AMC channel. Oh, absolutely. So if you've not heard of The Walking Dead, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Why are you listening to this You're not going outside and you don't have cable TV. (laughs) Exactly, man. And I'll be the first to admit, I didn't pick up The Walking Dead until after the first season of of the show. So I watched the first season of the show. I thought it it was really cool. I'm not a huge horror genre fan. Right. I can't say that I go out looking for like zombies and werewolves and, and monster movies books. or books. Not yeah. not really that interested. But I like the concept of, of the show. I thought it was pretty cool. It was you know some pretty cool character twists and storylines and stuff. But the book, the book is it away. amazing. See, I've not got that far in the book yet. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm way behind. I'm going to be that guy that's like, yeah, it was, they did it better in the book. Yeah, I'm going to be that <laughs> Well, that's how it usually is, right? It's usually better Absolutely. in the book because mm-hmm. they can go and say and do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. Versus AMC, they have yeah. restrictions as to what they can do yeah. and what they can show, whether well, it's budget or whatever. Yeah, and I'm sure they got to deal with so many executives and right. and suits and, and, you know, guys that are only TV show, right? you know, on, on the TV side. Whereas uh, the comic books when Robert Kirkman, I'm sorry, Robert Kirkman was the creator of, of The Walking Dead. It tells a pretty interesting story that when he sold The Walking Dead, Image essentially, they reviewed it and they didn't think it would sell, right? It's zombies. Right. Because zombies have been done. What are zombies? are just like lumbering. shambling around. Yeah, exactly. So he actually had to uh, give it some kind of a unique twist and he he promised them that the zombies would have been an experiment from aliens. And the guys at Image were like, okay, that, that sounds pretty cool. And they bought it. They let him do the comic. And they got a few issues in and it gained a lot of popularity. And the other creators at Image were like, okay, so when you know, when's the alien? When the, the alien when, storyline coming in? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, nah, man, I just, I just said that. <laughs> <I> just... <laughs> so that was how he got the, um, you know, the, the comic sold. That's how he got his foot in the door. Yeah, that's how he got his foot in the door. It's one of the hottest shows hottest books yep. it's ridiculous how you know how good it is and the, the one thing about the book that that is very unique to me and like i said i don't watch uh, i'm not a big horror story fan but the the book revolves around the survivors in a way that a lot of other um zombie movies and zombie shows really don't right you don't know what's going on outside of the world of their bubble there's never an explanation why any of this is happening why people are turning into zombies you know they try to get into a science in the show but that that wasn't a part of the book that okay. was never in the book when they go to the that lab yeah the lab and the scientist is trying to explain to them what's going on and all that that was only for the show i'm sure they thought that people needed some sort of an explanation as, as to why. what's yeah, happening what's going on whereas in the book it, it's just it's, a focus on survival yeah, just on the survival it, it's almost like you hit the ground running and it never lets up or never. hit the ground shambling hit the ground shambling <laughs> and the book it's cool because there's no monologue you know when you read a comic book there's the little boxes that catch the reader up. yeah there's none of that. It's all dialogue driven. So it's cool. only what the characters are talking about, what they're doing. So it reads really, really fast paced. Yeah. And it keeps the focus just on them. Absolutely. So that way it doesn't Absolutely. break the bubble of what they know. One other thing about the book, too, is that it's all done in black and white as well. So it, it definitely sets the um, 
the dark tone. Oh, yeah. Uh, before The Walking Dead, I was never a big fan of black and white comics. I've found that a lot of independent comics, because it's cheaper to print black yeah, and white, yeah. they do the black and white thing. Mm-hmm. So the independent comics that I did get were always black and white, so mm-hmm. I just got used to seeing that. Mm-hmm. So it never really bothered me. Mm-hmm. You know, If it made money, of course, they reprinted it into a color volume, and then you see the difference, yeah. and then you're like, oh, this is what I missed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I like you, I... The black and white doesn't bother yeah. me. Because of The Walking Dead, I'm not as hesitant to read a black and white comic. I'm okay with it. I've, I've read over 100 issues of The Walking Dead, and they're all in black and white. Uh, AMC will air some episodes in black and white. I don't know if you've seen those. Yeah, they, they read yeah. a bunch of episodes in black and <laughs> yeah, white. Yeah, that's very, very, very cool. Season one is really only maybe three or four issues in the run. In the run. Yeah, so, I mean, they really milk um, the books, and they also, there's a lot of stuff that are not in the books that happen in the shows. And that bugged me at first, but then I, I read somewhere that Robert Kirkman said that he purposely did that and allows that. Oh, okay. So he's totally okay. He said, I've told one story, and I didn't want to just retell the story on TV. The changes are all approved, and some are even, you know, recommended by Robert Kirkman. So, oh, okay. So he's got, his, he's got his stamp yeah. of approval. Stamp of, he has a stamp of approval. Bold statement, I know, but the governor arc in the comic books is one of the best story arcs I've read in comics. In comic history? Yeah, in my comic really? history, yeah. The governor story arc is so brutal, so relentless, and so bloody. When Walking Dead issue one was launched, they really didn't expect it to do, do as, well. Do well, you know yeah. what I mean? So they made, it was a very low run. So now it's hard to find. It's of that, really popular. It's stupid expensive. I mean, if you want to talk as a collector, if you want to talk about, you know, what modern comic has gained the most value you know, in the shortest amount of time. And you're not looking at Marvel or DC in this case. It's The Walking Dead. Yeah. The Walking Dead, it's an image comic. That's an independent comic. Pretty cool. That is. Well, if anyone's looking for The Walking Dead issues, what I would recommend doing is going to comicreliefpodcast.com. And then on the left-hand side, we have a thing that says support us, and it's got a link to mycomicshop.com. You use that link, and it's an affiliate that will help us pay for our website. So, Dude, very cool. So do that. So do that. One of the other popular comics that Image has also is uh, actually a, a relatively new one. It's called Saga. This is a very, very different comic. So in researching this comic, I found out that the writer, Brian K. Vaughn, was influenced by Star Wars on this comic. So he kind of kind of uh, took Star Wars as a kind of the tone for the comic. Essentially, it's just like this epic space opera slash fantasy slash magic really weird comic and i know you've, you've gotten a couple issues into yeah, it right? you recommended so, it to me so yes. i got the first 12 or 14 issues i recommended it four or five at gunpoint yeah I was like, <laughs> you have read it now to read okay. this yeah so what, what are your first impressions so my first impression it's it's definitely a different comic you mm-hmm. know because it starts off with her giving birth mm-hmm. you know that one of the main well one of the i think it's one of the main characters yeah. i haven't got that far so i don't know what happens <laughs> But she's giving birth to a baby, mm-hmm. and you know it, it talks about her on the dude's face. Yeah. You know, tell me I'm not on your face. Tell me I'm not bleeding on you. And that might be the first sentence in that yeah. book, right? It is. <laughs> and so, I mean, it immediately sets the tone where you're like, okay, this is the type of comic it's yeah. going to be. But then, as you read it, you start to really get to know the the two main characters, the ones who are you know the mother and father mm-hmm. of the kid. They mm-hmm. actually give those two characters a lot of depth. And then, as it goes, you know, you start seeing the sci-fi aspect of it mm-hmm. with Robot Four. I yeah. can't remember his first Prin- name. Prince Robot. Prince Robot Four. Yeah. How could I forget his first yeah, name? His Prince Royalty. <laughs> then you see the side where he says, "In order to cast a spell, I need you to tell me a secret." Yeah. You know? And she blurts out, "I'm not going to say what it is because it's actually really funny." Yeah. She blurts out a secret, and he casts a spell. Yeah. And, you know, cut themselves free from this situation. His spells need ingredients. And then this big ship shows mm-hmm. up. <laughs> you know, so you're seeing all these different elements in it. I like the art. It's really clean. Fiona Staples is the artist on the uh, on the book. And I'll tell you what, man. I'm going to look her up because she does some great work. To me, she definitely shows talent because you have her drawing big ships that aren't always easy to draw. Mm-hmm. The two main characters, you know, kind of primitive clothing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not in like any kind of like weird spacesuit. Mm-hmm. You have her drawing more of like almost like a medieval kind of yes. look and then you have her drawing the robots mm-hmm. who have a more futuristic you know kind of out there kind of costume yeah. type of look so you see her drawing all these different elements and making it all fit yeah it's a strange book man it's hard to pin it down i mean essentially it is star wars meets fantasy meets romeo and juliet and on the surface it just seems very strange like how could 
you get into that. But as you start reading the book, you really, really, really believe it. Every issue, they time it very well that it always ends kind of with a cliffhanger. This book has honestly gotten me to like to gasp out loud, to laugh out loud. Yeah. It really, really gets me involved in the story, man. I, a, a background about the uh, the story. So essentially, the story takes place between two we'll call them species, I guess. Yeah. One of the species has their, their wings. They almost look like angels. The other species, look they have horns, kind of like, like ram horns. It takes place on the uh, biggest planet in the galaxy and only has one moon. So the winged, uh, the winged ones live on the biggest planet of the galaxy called Landfall. The horned kind of ram-looking guys live on Reef. And uh, they've been at war forever. They realize that if they destroy one, the other one goes out of orbit. So if they destroy the planet, the moon goes out of orbit or vice versa. Right. So they've essentially had to outsource this war to the rest of the galaxy. So this war has spilled out. One of the soldiers, he gets caught. He realizes that he doesn't want to fight anymore. He's yeah. one of the Moonies. He's imprisoned. He's um, and he ends up falling in love with one of the prison guards, who's you know she's a winged one. They fall in love. She breaks him out, and hilarity ensues. After that, it's just a mix match of so many different genres, and it's so good. I, I recommend it. So far, I'm 17 issues in in Saga, and these 17 issues are one of the best stories that I've read. All right, some other um, some other kind of honorable mentions is Chew. Have you heard of Chew? I have not heard of Chew. So Chew is a very interesting book from Image Comics, and and this is not a book that I'm I'm currently reading, but it's one that I've seen a lot of, um, you know, at cons and at shops, and I'm really considering taking a look at it. Um, story set in a world where chicken and other bird meats are illegal because of an outbreak of bird. Essentially, so you have a lot. So swine the, flu went crazy. Uh, bird flu. Oh no, swine flu is the pig one. Yeah, <laughs> swine flu is the pig. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes more sense. Close enough. Yeah, yeah. They're the same animal. You Pigs might fly. You might have a story there. Hang <laughs> on, man. So 23 million Americans died. Essentially, if you want to eat any kind of avian or chicken or anything, you have to go to the mob. And, you know, they'll you got to talk to the guy and kind of wink at him and, and tap his foot under the bathroom stall. And he'll take you. <laughs> he'll get your chicken. He'll get you your chicken. Hopefully the right kind. Yeah. So this is... Uh, <laughs> This is the story revolves around this detective named Tony Chu, who's just a police detective, and he's also a sebopath. So what happens is that he can he has almost telepathic abilities through eating stuff. He can tell you what happened to that that piece of chicken. He can kind of see the into the history of so that. It's, it's kind of like postcognition. A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay. he has to do it by eating. I have read the first story where he's a detective and they're trying to bust an illegal chicken operation. So he goes into the restaurant. You know, I've already sold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now check this out. This is uh, this is very interesting. And it sounds silly, right? But this they're not like 40 issues in. So he sits down. He orders a chicken soup. He gives him the wink. You know what I mean? And he starts eating the chicken soup. And he starts having that precog kind of starts going through that whole motion where he's seeing what happened, who butchered this chicken. And he also sees that the um, cook the chicken cut himself so he's tasting that person that as well blood yeah and notices that this is the guy that's been killing all these people in the city so he knows oh, that okay. this is him so he goes back there arrest you no know, whole action sequence starts and essentially he gets kicked off the force but the fda picks him up right because they find out that he's a sebo path and the fda has like these really elite group of <laughs> agents who are also sebo paths <laughs> they get into some cool stuff man he starts eating cadavers and it's yeah yeah exactly Right, so if there's a crime scene and there's a dead person, he just and you know that you can you can solve this. Yeah, you can solve this case if you just cut a piece off and just give eat me this it. pinky. Yeah, yeah, I got this. <laughs> that takes man to do to to write that story to sell it. So Image Comics was that group that said, all right, yeah, we'll put that. Story is written by John Layman, art by Rob Gilroy. It's received a lot of positive reviews. It's even won an Eisner. Wow. Yeah, it's even won an Eisner. So uh, they're it. doing something right. They're doing something right. Exactly. It seems really really unique. Besides that, the other mention um, I had it was Image was kind of broken up into different companies right. and stuff. Well, one of those companies created was was Top Cow, along with Image uh, created a book called Wanted. You may have seen the movie. Uh, yeah, actually, I have not seen the movie. Then but I don't. It's all right. It's, that's what I've heard. I've heard that uh, comic uh, is better. Yeah. 
It's an all right movie. Um, they essentially took the name of a comic book and just made a. Comp- they they changed way too much for it to be even considered an adaptation of of the comic. The comic, but the concept of the comic though is very cool. The book is written by Mark Millar, who's awesome, right? He does the Kick Ass and, and right. a few other books. When he was younger, him and his brother were having a conversation, and he asked his brother why there, you know, why aren't there any superheroes like there are in the comics? And his brother said, "Oh no, there used to be, but the supervillains won in a." war and killed all the superheroes that's why we don't see any superheroes this world is run by supervillains and that concept stuck with that conversation when he was younger stuck with him and believe it was set in 1986 there was a massive war and the supervillains won out and they have essentially gone into secrecy and are essentially just a huge shadow organization that runs the world right the story revolves around a you know a a kid who doesn't realize that his dad was like the top assassin, you know, in, in the world, in the world. And he has to kind of join the ranks of these supervillains and take over for his dad's spot. And it's very cool because they do elude to some of the characters in the story being main characters in Marvel and DC. I think more DC. But of course, they can't just straight out say, yeah, can't say Superman. Batman. Yeah. yeah. So they'll have like little hints, like one of the villains has a trophy room with a cape hanging there. You know what I mean? Of course, that's Superman's cape yeah um one of the other villains defeated batman and robbie he brags about defeating the world's greatest detective and he's essentially brainwashed them and put them in a retirement home and made them think that all their memories were from a show that they shot back in the 60s the 60s <laughs> so they're just kind of uh sitting in a wheelchair in a retirement home batman and robin are and they're just kind of talking about their days back on the show cool concept mark millard does great work if you guys get a chance check that book out as well um and that's kind of all i had for, for image comics for me i haven't really touched image in a long long time like i got into image when they first launched so like i was in it for like the cyber force wildcats Stormwatch, all that stuff oh man we can do we can do a comic just on those dude yeah max pit max wildcats yeah they did a whole thing around issue 10 image of tomorrow or something like that and they all skipped to issue 25 you know they went from 10 to 25 and then they went back and then we're trying to lead up to what happened in this issue 25 which in all the titles was like changed the whole thing that's when they lost me oh wow i didn't know that yeah and so they did that with all of them did they shake things up too soon you think yes you know here's this big event that's happening across all these different Mm -hmm. titles everything changes with issue 25 and then find out between 11 and 25 what happens what happens the company itself was enough change yeah why did you need to change that yeah it was a change to the industry that people kind of embraced and and liked it and were buying comics you didn't have to shake it up you just ride that for a while especially not even the the first year they hadn't even got 12 issues out on most of these titles and they did this big jump you introduce these new characters you're just getting to know them and then you make before years pass yeah they just completely change everything remember wetworks yes wetworks uh, was also wetworks one of my collectives really cool yeah that, i just want those posters man i just <laughs> want the posters i like when i think of those teams i just think of like the splash page with all the team you know with all the members of the team kind of like just yeah. in a row with the cool superhero poses yeah they nailed that oh yeah they <laughs> every, got that every one of those comics nailed that yeah. What did Cyberforce do, or what did Wetworks do, or who were they? It's like, I can I could probably name them. I, yeah. Handfuls. I enjoyed reading it back then, but I've tried to reread them, like, in the last couple of years, and they, they didn't carry over well. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, they don't they don't stand the test of time. Yeah, they did not stand the You know, back then, they were beautiful comics, mm-hmm. but story-wise, now that I'm a little bit, a lot older. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that you're a couple but, of years older. Yeah, just, <laughs> just a few. Oh, man, I remember I traded... Oh, my God, man. This was back when uh, I went to Comic-Con when it, Comic-Con wasn't the Comic-Con that we know now, right? That it was top, still civil? It was around the time when uh, Image launched and I had my copy of Spawn number one, which no big deal. You know, I just picked it up wherever. It was probably like three bucks or cover price. But Todd McFarlane was autographing comics. You know, he was just at a booth and this was the, at a point where you can just uh, walk up to the booth and ask him for an autograph. Right. It wasn't, you know, a wristband to get a ticket, to wait in line, <laughs> wait in line. To, uh, nothing like that. And he autographed my book. But I was also at the time a a Nirvana fan. Love Nirvana. I was also a kid and didn't have any money, right? I probably just right. spent all my money on this buying Spawn. Yeah. yeah. So I went to another booth who had this like story of Nirvana comic format. The guy that drew it and wrote it was probably at the booth, right? You know what I mean? I asked him how much, and he said oh, whatever, and I didn't have enough money, so I was like, "Here, you want my Spawn autographed Todd McFarlane book, and I'll trade you." And he was like, <laughs> "Okay." And I traded some Nirvana comic that I don't even know where it is now. I don't. I mean, I must have lost it. Probably Good 
that call. same day. <laughs> yeah, man, that was bad. And I remember reading the Nirvana book, and there was so many errors in it. And then um, <laughs> I even pointed it out. There was a there was a panel where it was like uh, Kurt Cobain graduates high school, and he was holding his diploma. And I showed it to the guy, and I was like, he dropped out. And he took the <laughs> comic from me, and he got his pen out, and he wrote, does not in <laughs> and gave it back to me. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for the correction. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> yeah, so that's my. I would have had spot number one autographed by Todd McFarlane. Nice. Had it and just essentially just threw it away. So yeah, childhood. You got anything else for Image? One thing that I thought was kind of cool, Jim Lee joined DC Comics. Yeah. And he took his branch of Image, yeah, the Wildstorm comics, and imported them into DC Comics. So mm-hmm. a few of their characters have actually shown up. Like a couple of characters from Gen 13 have mm-hmm. shown up. A couple of characters from Wildcats mm-hmm. have shown up. So it's cool to see that transition. He owned all the rights to them, so he was able to take them to mm-hmm. DC. I wonder if there's a clause, because he essentially sold his characters to DC. Yeah. But I mean, you think if they ever have a falling out, He's going to regret doing that, where he can't take his character characters with back with him. Yeah, because yeah. it's a lot of characters yeah. that he took. I think oh, he was yeah. pretty much everyone in Wildstorm. And the other cool thing is, when we were talking about Top Cow earlier, they actually did a Kickstarter for Cyberforce. Oh, no way. Really? Yeah, they did a Kickstarter. So everyone who submitted to the Kickstarter gets us, you know, they get their copy of Cyberforce, quote unquote, for free. Do you get this alternate cover mm-hmm. that's not available in the comic stores? That's very cool. Very cool. Very cool. So one of these other um, comic book companies, I mean, if we're going into, uh, you know, talking about Big Three or some, or these companies giving Marvel or DC a run for their money, I would say a, a contender would be Dark Horse, man. They've been around for a while. Yeah, and Dark Horse has grabbed, well, they had a bunch of big licenses like yeah. Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Marvel actually just acquired mm-hmm. back Bottom the rights back. Yeah. to Star Wars because Star Wars is now owned mm-hmm. by Disney and Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel. So now I was thinking, I was kind of wondering, I was thinking like, man, that's, and of course it is going to hit their bottom line, right? Because they're losing a, a huge license. Huge license. Yeah, but um, in, in kind of looking into Dark Horse and what Dark Horse has done, and they have uh, Conan, Avatar The Last Airbender, Mass Effect, you know, Aliens, Predator, and then they also have original, they have a lot of good original, original uh, lines as well. Mike Magnolia's Hellboy, they've done some stuff with Frank Miller and Sin City and 300. So they've, I mean, I think they'll be all right. And if you go down the list of movies that, that have become popular or mainstream that started as a Dark Horse comic, dude, it is actually pretty impressive. This is a company that's not Marvel or DC, and they're list is includes dr giggles in 92 the mask uh, wait 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 go back dr giggles dr giggles yeah was i it? don't recall ever seeing dr giggles or even hearing of it oh what the comic or the movie the, e- either <laughs> the the crazy dentist no the horror story no the horror movie oh man that's a classic <laughs> uh the man jim carries the mask time cop tank girl barbed wire the pamela anderson flick uh mystery men uh aliens versus predator of course they didn't you know create aliens or the predator but the they aliens the versus Predator comic actually made it into movie. Hellboy, Sin City, 300, uh, R.I.P.D. Very, very long list of like movies that have become really popular in mainstream. That's an impressive yeah, list. Yeah, with, uh, with some big name actors and everything. Kind of excited to see Marvel get the license back because now, you know, they have a new generation of movies that are coming out and they're expecting to do TV shows and cartoons, you know, with what they've been trying to do with the Avengers and, you know, tying their Marvel cinematic universe together. It's going to be interesting to see what Disney does with Star Wars and Marvel and, and, and tying their books into their movies, into their TV shows. So I'm just saying right now, I'm going to be really pissed off mm-hmm. if like at the end of the Guardians of the Galaxy, they come out of warp drive, uh-huh. and then there's a Death Star right ahead. Yeah. I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> but no, not if all of a sudden... Uh, it's, <laughs> it's canon. Yeah, it's canon, and Boba Fett is like has his own, you know... His Iron Man armor. His Iron Man armor, exactly. <laughs> with Tony Stark technology. <laughs> Tony with Stark technology. Uh, one of the companies that has actually gone the opposite route, you know, that was started so that movie and TV licenses can be put on print is IDW. IDW, formed back in uh, 2000, uh, was essentially picked up just to create almost exclusively you know, licensed content. You know, everything from... Yeah, like two of the books I get from IDW, um, Gears of War, is really good because like it ties in everything to the game perfectly. Nice. I mean, like you would think it was the game writers who actually wrote mm-hmm. the issue. And then the other IDW 
CW that I'm getting right now, well, two of them, is Judge Dredd. Nice. It's a new Judge Dredd series. And then they have Judge Dredd Classics, which is reprinting the old original Judge Dredd. Oh, very. Now, that Judge Dredd's another character that I've, I'm going to sound like a total sellout. But because of the new Dredd movie, if you haven't seen it with Carl Urban, is amazing. I it's agree. It's really good. Carl Urban is, this dude is cool, man. He's dedicated. He's he's went the entire movie without taking his helmet off. Helmet off, yeah. True to the character. Very cool. But how 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 are you liking uh Dread if you're reading? The the new one is actually really, really good. It's typical good fun dread. Um what originally got me into Judge Dread way back in the day was not the fact that, oh, you know, look cool comic. It was actually the song from Anthrax. Oh, did they have a Judge Dread song? Yeah, they had a Judge Dread song called I Am the Law. Oh, no way. Yeah. So the whole song is about Judge Dredd. And I remember seeing them in concert and they were talking mm. about, you know, this is about a comic book character. His name is Judge Dredd. And mm. I am the law. And they just kicked into the song. And I was like, well, I'm into comics. Let's <laughs> check out this Judge Dredd yeah. thing. Tom introduced me to um, ElfQuest. Now, ElfQuest is one of those books that uh, when I was a kid going into comic shops, I always saw it on the shelves in one form or another, but never really caught my attention. Fantasy in comic book format uh, was never something that really got my attention. I was into the superheroes, but Tom has actually let me borrow some of these uh, these collected editions, yeah, these the trade volumes. paperbacks. Yeah, and uh, it's actually a pretty good story, man. I got into ElfQuest. It was around 1978 or 1979. My dad used to go to a bookstore right off Palm Avenue here in San Diego called The Book Rack. And, you know, they had a bunch of used books and stuff like that. And they had, you know, for back then, a fairly good collection of comics, you know, like back issues and stuff. And that's where I used to originally get my comics. Like when I had saved my lunch money, oh, there's an X-Men, you know, bam, there's an Avengers. I remember seeing ElfQuest number three on the shelf and thinking, oh, you know what? I love The Hobbit. I'm going to check out what this ElfQuest thing is mm-hmm. about. And I read number three and it read really easy it was just a really smooth easy mm-hmm. read it's fantasy but it's not like high fantasy yeah it's not like over the top crazy fantasy focused on this tribe of elves that rode on wolves it's not forced man it's yeah. not forced i like that i and the problem that i have with trying to pick up a fantasy book you just get so much terminology and lore and background yeah. just kind of shoved down your throat and you forget who's who and what's what this book it's real light in that and i do like the art is enough you know what i mean where yeah. you're steeped well into whatever going on yeah uh, without being without feeling like it's like too hokey and that's one of the things i think <clears throat> wendy penny nails down she knows how to make everyone look very individualistic mm-hmm. you know what and all the names were not like the crazy fantasy names that yeah. you're used to seeing it's names like cutter mm-hmm. red lance skywise easy name to remember yeah. and, and i remember when we went back to the book rack you know i would ask oh is the next issue out and she's like no not yet and i found out later that ElfQuest was tri-monthly or whatever. One issue every three months, basically. Mm-hmm. Damn it. <laughs> so then when issue four finally came out, it focuses on Cutter's family, specifically Bearclaw. And after I read that issue with the uh, Mad Coil, sold hooked fan forever for life yeah fan for life and then i remember going back to the book rack and they actually had issue number two in their back issue bin so mm-hmm. i got issue two and i collected it you know in the magazine format back then all the way up to 20 it wasn't till like a couple of years later that i actually finally got my hands on the first issue mm-hmm. do you still of... have them yes nice so man. the original f quest was all in black and white like magazine format mm-hmm. to me i mean that black and white art is just as good as the color version mm-hmm because the black and white is so sharp. Like, Wendy's art is amazing to me. So the black and white is almost, to me, better than what the color versions are. That's kind of odd to read a, a fantasy book in black and white, because you think fantasy, you think... Colorful and super vibrant. Super colorful. Yeah. And then a, a fantasy book that revolves around elves and magic, and yeah. you're just thinking, man, how could it be black and white? At your age at that time, right, to get um, an eight- or nine-year-old to read a black and white comic... Comic, yeah. That's... That, that, yeah. Take some good writing or something, man. Stag- magic. It, it was magic. It was literally her writing and the art. Because like I said, the art is so clean. Each character to me really, really stuck out. Within two issues, you know, I was like, I know what mm-hmm. type of people these are. Like, I know the type of person Cutter is. I know the type of person that Skywise is. And she gave them each, like, quirks and personalities that made them all stand out from mm-hmm. the other characters. Made unique. To me, Wendy Penny is probably one of my top favorite artists mm-hmm. still to this day. And it was cool to see her art, like, from the first five issues, you know, the heads were kind of a little bit bigger than their body, mm-hmm. whatever. But then by the seventh issue, you can see that her art tightened up. Like, yeah. it got really, really, really good. And then you get to around issue 11 or 12 when it... She introduces like another set of elves, and you can, again you see it just get boom 
tighter and sharper mm-hmm. and better. Mm-hmm. Issue 17 and 18, where there's this whole war thing, mm-hmm. pinnacle of her art for me. Like, it's amazing. It's nice. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, very cool. My, um, what's cool is my obsession with the ElfQuest thing went so far as I joined like a mailing list, you mm-hmm. know, like, we're not, not like a email list, but actual snail mail list. Mm-hmm where we would all write in and submit a story and then they would send out like a a fanzine or whatever those Mm -hmm. are called so i was writing stories for that you know with my own custom characters that were in the elf quest world nice and it it was actually through there that i met my friend lindsay archer who is an incredible artist and it was like 10 years before i actually met her in person and i was worried like the first time she came out like oh you know is it going to be weird is Mm -hmm. it going to be awkward but it wasn't it was like perfect like we had known each other we just started talking and everything Dude, right on. So it was kind of cool not only to have this comic, Mm -hmm. but then to meet someone through it and all that other stuff. Yeah, that's pretty cool. If anyone out there is interested in ElfQuest, all ElfQuest comics are available for free online, the digital copies. So you go to ElfQuest.com and you can download them. And also there was a bit of news about ElfQuest, right? So they're they're actually going to end ElfQuest. Yes, they are doing Final Quest right now. Final Quest. There was... um, there was a time that I got out of ElfQuest. They they actually started getting big enough that they started bringing in other writers and other artists. So the, the stories expanded out to other characters. Yeah, other characters. Still based in fantasy and everything, right? Yeah, still based on the ElfQuest world, but like New Blood, Hidden Years, and Shards were all stories that kind of brought ElfQuest from this primitive, like the humans were kind of like primitive kind of caveman, yeah. yep. and lunged it forward into like a medieval time. Mm-hmm. And then they did another set of books um, called The Rebels and Jink, which brought ElfQuest to a futuristic time where uh, humans were flying around in spaceships, the elves all, weren't even around. They got all Warhammer, yeah, three thousand eighty. So whatever. when that happened, I stopped collecting. Mm-hmm. Elf like I was like, I'm done. I'm out. Parachute. Yeah. <laughs> pull the ripcord. Yeah. Pull the ripcord. Yeah. But they eventually brought everything back together into a title called Metamorphosis mm-hmm. and kind of consolidated everything. And then they did an Elf Quest Volume Two, which kind of focused back down onto the Wolf Riders, the original tribe and stuff like that, and where mm-hmm. they all were. In 2004, they did Searcher and the Sword, which really, really focused on the main tribe again. And then DC actually picked up ElfQuest in 2006. Oh, wow. And they published four-issue limited series called Discovery. Mm-hmm. And then there was nothing until, as you said, Final Quest, which now is supposed to be the end of ElfQuest. So how do you feel about that and about this really long long run coming in they released the prelude Mm -hmm. to final quest and they did a good job of basically summarizing where everyone was at what everyone was doing Mm -hmm. and it's wendy penny's art it's clean it's crisp Mm -hmm. so i am okay if this follows that you know caliber of art that she's always shown Mm -hmm. i'm okay with this ending so seeing wendy back at the helm her in control of everyone and her basically summarizing and drawing everything again Mm -hmm. To me, it's a it's a good way to close a chapter. And has she said it? Is she going to end it as like something like cataclysmic, like it's going to destroy everything, or or has she, she just said this is my final book and that's it? She hasn't even dropped any clues. She just wow. said prepare to be surprised. Wow. So, so okay, they're just building up that intensity of making everyone wait. <laughs> oh man, I wonder if she's going to close the door and lock it, or if she's just going to close the door for someone else to open it later. I would recommend mm-hmm. anyone, as you were saying, go to elfquest.com, mm-hmm. upper right hand corner. There's a read it now, and I would at least recommend reading the original quest, Siege, and um, Kings of a Broken Wheel. Cool. And you, and this isn't the only uh, fantasy book you've read, right? As no. far as comics are concerned. No, like 1986 was apparently the year for fantasy books for me that were independent mm-hmm. and black and white. There was another one um, from Air Cell Comics called The Adventurers. Really, really, really loved it. Really mm-hmm. loved it. Because if you like books where you're not sure if the main character is going to live or die, mm-hmm. this is That's one of those. this is one of those. It's kind of high fantasy stuff. You know, there mm-hmm. is magic. There is like monsters and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But to me, it read sort of like a, like a D&D campaign, like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're reading these characters and at any given time, one of them could die. And some of the main characters do die. The original ran, I think, for 10 issues and then had a number zero, so it technically ran for 11 issues. They did a second run that ran for seven issues and they did a number zero, so it was like eight issues. And Mm -hmm. the third one only ran for six issues. But that was all independent publishers, huh? The original run, the first two issues were actually from Adventure Comics. Like, they made their own comic publishing thing. But then Aircell picked it up and said, hey, we'll republish your first two issues Mm -hmm. and keep publishing the rest for you. Oh, very cool. It's one of those comics where, like, back in the day, I Googled it to see mm-hmm. if there was any websites about it, and there was none. So I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to make website. a website for nice. it. Nice. 
So if you go to TAWMIS.com forward slash adventurers, it's got Dude. like all the little synopsis of all the issues and some mm -hmm. of the characters have profiles, kind of like the Marvel Universe sure. handbook profile. Yeah. You know, like the name, where <laughs> yeah. they were born. And I even found that the artist who did it, Kent, I might be mispronouncing his last name, Burles. B U R L E S. I found him on Facebook and I was like, hey, dude, I loved Adventures. Like, really loved it. Here's some time I wasted making a mm. website on it that probably no one is ever going to see. <laughs> but he actually. I'll see it, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Someone, <laughs> someone will go see it. But he actually wrote me back and said, after all these years, uh, the Adventures are still remembered. You have done an amazing amount of work, both putting together the synopsis and the bios, and also in compiling all the information contained therein. I learned quite a bit that I never knew about the characters <laughs> I used to draw. So I thought that was kind of funny. Characters. Also in 1986, also through Aerosol, there was a comic called Elf Lord that mm -hmm. was made. Basically, it was not a lot of story. Not a lot of story <laughs> at all. It was mostly hack and slash. Mm -hmm. And the art was really kind of simple. But it was just a fun read. Just really weird stuff. Dude, you're making me want to play Skyrim. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's <laughs> a lot like that. And then the last independent comic I ever, probably not the last, but the last one I can think of is The Tick. Oh, yes. So, so I never read the comic, right? Saturday morning. Saturday morning cartoons, man. Yes. The Tick was... The man. Yes, I awesome. agree. How close How close was the cartoon or the book to the cartoon? Totally different. You know, normally the book is better. Yeah. To me, the cartoon was better. The cartoon was way better. Yeah. To me, the cartoon, because you could hear, I don't know the guy who played the tick, but the guy who played him in the cartoon. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. And the yeah. dude who played Arthur, nailed it. Yeah. So, I mean, there were so many funny episodes that I think conveyed a lot better in yeah. cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, one of my favorite ones is the one with the mustache and the beard. I don't know if you remember that one. When when the tick has a mustache. Yeah, and it's like going up his nose. Yeah. He's like Arthur. He's yeah. touching my brain. <laughs> you know that stuff. It's when you read it in a comic. I don't think it conveys yeah. as well as him struggling with a mustache trying yeah. to get it yeah, out of his nose. Out. Yeah. You know, or when he's trying to shave and it would move. <laughs> and there was like an episode where the the gingerbread cookies are yes. alive and yes. they're, they're attacking the city. Dude, I loved I loved the subtleties of the cartoon. Like when Tick is rooftop hopping, yes, and he's crushing <laughs> all the roofs, and he's just completely oblivious. <laughs> and then when he finally gets to the ledge, he just crunches the ledge down and just you know kind of does his superhero pose. pose. Yes, yeah, and it's like, dude, this guy does not realize that he's just destroyed everything, you know, <laughs> along the way. Yeah, along the way. I, I I love the subtleties, man. I love that they lived in like a little apartment, and the Tick slept on the couch, couch. and it was just it, it was awesome. Yes. It was really cool. And then the parallels, too, with some of the popular Marvel and DC heroes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, like Galactus. Dude, the, who was like Batman. The, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, it was Batman. There was the American Maid. American Maid, who was like Wonder Woman. Yeah, Sewer Urchin. I don't know who he was like, but he was He's kind of like weird. Aquaman. <laughs> yeah, he's... <laughs> there you go, dude. Oh, my God. He was the Aquaman of the team. Yeah. But he was cruised around in the sewer, totally useless. Yeah, he was probably one of my favorites. He was hilarious. <laughs> just the way he would always mutter when he talked yeah and then he would just like slink away back into the sewer yeah, when stuff yep. got really nasty <laughs> yes dude oh yeah i love the tick man and that was always one of those books too that i always saw on the shelves and wanted to pick up but for some reason i just i never did and yeah I, and i knew him and i knew the tick you know you ever watched the live animated uh show yes the the live action was good but you just can't capture like what they did in the yeah the cartoon was just one of those it was just magic it was so good so good yeah and i mean you're putting it in a lineup with like batman the animated series and you know the x-men animated series and then we can do a podcast on saturday morning cartoons we should know? we should talk about superhero cartoons at some point so today i'm joined by the uh, ceo and founder of wendigo comics uh, jacob ferry how you doing today jacob i'm doing pretty good cool so you started your own uh, comic book company eh? an independent a uh, book with your own uh, original characters and storylines and everything more or less a, a company with many stories by not just me but also other people okay and before we dive into wendigo do you mind if i ask you um you know what? What? What's your background with comics? What got you into comics? What? Um, what books did you read growing up? Well, when I was growing up, it wasn't so much reading the comics; it was more or less watching the comics. I was glued to the '90s X-Men shows. I watched the hell of those, and it probably annoyed my parents. <laughs> Absolutely, man. After we all, yeah, we grew up with those uh, with those '90s X-Men comics too, man. Classics, classics. Did you ever get to a point where you actually started uh, picking up and reading books? First real one I picked up, and I sat down and I read. For 
was Watchmen, and that really was what started everything for me. Cool. What led you to um, you know want to create uh, Wendigo Comics or, or the company Wendigo? I've always been a writer, and I've always loved comics, so I don't really have the attention span to write a full novel. Much easier to do a comic. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you're uh, you're not necessarily an artist with Wendigo. You're more on, on the writing side. I could draw, but nobody would buy that. <laughs> so why did you decide to create your own uh, your own company as opposed to doing a, a freelance work or or you know shopping your stories out to existing companies? I figured if I was to work at Marvel, it would really pigeonhole me, and that's the big thing about Wendigo is that we don't pigeonhole anyone. So you allow uh, complete creative control to your artists and to your writers and to your, to your yeah. Cool. I mean, we we do edit, but I want to try to appeal to as many people as possible. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree that I think that uh, gone are the days where people consider comic books just for reading for children. You know, I think a lot of uh, a lot of companies and a lot of writers and a lot of artists have proven that you can do a, a, some really hardcore adult themed books and they will still sell. You know, really well. You know, in comparison to like classic uh, superhero comic books, you can do a lot of stuff yeah. like that. So it's it's good to. See see that that uh, that you guys are doing that other companies are doing that as well where they're allowing the the artists to just kind of free range on you know their own characters and and, and their own stories. That's really cool. Yeah, I remember once I was wearing the Justice League of America feature and a guy came up to me and he was like, aren't you a little old for that? I was watching Stan Lee. When he started Marvel, he wanted to write comics for young adults. There's this whole big misconception with people that aren't really into comics that comics are for kids. Absolutely. I think even, even when Stan Lee uh, took over Marvel and introduced uh, Peter Parker, the Fantastic Four, and those, you know, all those characters. Themes were a little more uh, adult or, or serious compared to what was out there, you know. With they might look a little silly, but at the time, they were pretty groundbreaking. You know, what are some of the challenges for um, for someone to, you know, that's starting their own independent comic company? The biggest challenge right now is finding people, not just fans, but also people to work with. Getting the word out, you, you got to advertise the hell out of yourself. you got to market yourself. You can't, you can't be shy. Have you guys ever heard of Rask? And I probably didn't pronounce the name right. No, I have not, but I'll, I'll look him up. He used to work for Marvel. He wanted to make something that was his. I was talking to him. And the more people that can see it, the more people that will see it. It's just a numbers game when it comes down to that. As the more eyeballs you get on your product. Absolutely. So you mentioned that, you, that talent was one of the... Um, uh, one of the trickier things to you know to to get how how can one you know that somebody that has that is an artist or that has an idea how would they go about shopping their stories or their art to Wendigo? Well, my Facebook is connected to the Facebook page for Wendigo. Someone wants to share their art with me, post it on that wall. Do you mind if we talk about uh, the current talent that you have working uh, at Wendigo right now? Would you like to know about? Well, I noticed that you had um, a couple artists, uh, James Seymour and Patch Silver. James Seymour is the gentleman that created your Facebook banner. Is that correct? He's a really good artist. Just moved from Ireland to Korea for a little bit. And uh, Patch Silver is when I saw the um, couple of his pieces on your Facebook page. I really dug the uh, the Spider-Man one that it looked like he did in a few minutes or something like that. I think it was he he does it quick and he does so much. He has taken on such a workload since he's been here. I don't know how. He does so much, dude. Props to Patch, man. I really, really dig his art. I, I want to see more of his stuff. Hopefully, you guys can, you know, uh, post some more of his artwork up. You know, get him, get him on books. He's doing art for a couple of titles. You'll be seeing a lot more Patch. Nice. And another one of your of your writers, uh, Tucker. Is am I pronouncing his last name correctly? Is it Hayes? I just call him Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So you and him are both taking the writing duties on for uh, some of the comics. Tucker is actually working on a project now, set in the 1930s. We have a couple other people, Sean. Is. He's not going to appeal to everybody, but the people that he does appeal to, he's going to win over. He's an amazing writer. Back to the the company in general. So, what kind of genres are you guys looking to to get into for your storylines? We don't really want to pigeonhole ourselves and say we're just one genre. I personally have stuff like a superhero type genre, a thriller, a steampunk story. So you guys are open to everything. I mean, everything from westerns to sci-fi to superhero to mystery. As long as it's a good story, right? Yeah. That's very cool. We probably, we probably won't touch hentai, but I mean, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. That's, uh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Do you guys plan on um, informing your universe all within one universe? Can can we see characters um, uh, interact with each other? Do you guys plan on, on doing anything like that? I have my own macroverse that I'm working on. Sean's working on his own independent projects. So is Tucker. There's definitely a possibility, at least once, of there being 
crossovers between different people work. Can you describe some of the characters that you got going on? I noticed I, I plucked um, a couple from your Facebook page. I know you, you, you I found um, Agent Black uh, was one of the characters and another character named Corona. Um, can you, uh, you know, just talk about maybe these two characters or any other characters you want to talk about? That's only uh, a very early concept picture of him. I like to say that he's Deadpool. Deadpool got off the meds. He's there to be funny. He's there to kill people. He's very much an a-hole. Gotcha. Is he, uh, is he like a, a mercenary as well, similar to Deadpool? He's more like a gun for hire that is an employee. Rona, that has a little bit of a political side to it. And you're not hesitant about getting a, a political in, in your books or in your stories? No, not really. Where can uh, where can someone go to find your um, uh, your books? Or to, you know, are you going to be putting a, a digital copies of these books out, or are they going to be only in paper format? There's a possibility that we'll put them on digital. I kind of want to focus on getting them um, on paper. Like I want to I want to help out comic book shops. The easiest way to get a copy now ish. We're releasing a Kickstarter in a couple days. I just finished the Kickstarter last night. I submitted it. I'm waiting to get it back, so it should be up by next week. The thing that every fan of Lindego needs to get is a membership card. It's five dollars. What that's going to do is enable you to get special prints, special posters that you can't get without card. We found that would be the easiest way for people who want to help us. You know that that's a really cool idea, man. I really dig that idea. You give a, you sell a membership, you know, uh, five bucks, you go to a con, you go to a booth and you get a, some kind of an exclusive or some kind of a variant or something you can't find in stores. Um, yeah, man, kudos. That's that's a really, really cool idea. I dig that. Cool. And you guys are going to do like a, a con circuit this year? We're going everywhere from Ontario, Canada, all the way down to Houston, Texas. For RVing it, we're doing it very grassroots. We'll be stopping at comic book shops, do signings, just because I know I know not everyone can get to a convention. Just because you can't get to a convention doesn't mean that you shouldn't be able to get the stuff. Cool, man. I mean, we're, we're down here in Southern California, so we'll have to uh, we'll have to find you along that circuit when you come down this way. We're planning on being at San Diego Comic Con, so we'll have the time. I think we have a week off after that, but we have to go to Boston, and it only takes about a couple days. Oh, wow, yeah. You guys are going from San Diego to Boston. Okay, I got one final question for you here, man. Where did you come up with the name for, uh, you, and you pronounce it uh, Wendigo Comics, yes, not Wendigo? It's, it's Wendigo. It's the name of a spirit in Algonquin native myth, and very morbid, but it's a spirit that possesses someone who consumes human flesh. It's very much me showing off how much I love to learn about different myths and different urban legends. Cool, very cool. All right, is there anything else you would like to uh, plug or, or any other mentions you'd like to give to, um, to the audience? Just come like us on Facebook and... And if you have art, send it in. If you have writing, send it in. If you want to say, hey, you guys are cool, send it in. If you want to say, hey, you guys suck, that's still feedback. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. And, and and we're not exactly sure when this is going to go out, but um, we'll definitely help you out with your Kickstarter. Um, you know, send us a message uh, via Facebook and, and you know, we'll, we'll send it out to our audience as well. We'll be glad to. Lee, thank you very much. Cool, man. Thank you for coming on today. It's been great talking to you guys. Cool. Not a problem, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking to us uh jacob ferry ceo wendigo comics get a hold of me if you ever want to talk to me again i mean i'll come on whenever you need me <laughs> absolutely will do man it was, a, it was a pleasure talking to you all right have a good day you as well see you jacob that'll wrap up this uh podcast hope you enjoyed it you know hopefully we introduce you to some new comics check them out pick them up go on our site uh use the link purchase some comics help us out that'd be really that'd be really cool like us on facebook drop us a review on itunes download the podcast from itunes uh hope you guys are writing all this down because this is a long list of stuff that we need you guys to do for us. yeah we need you to do this now <laughs> immediately anyways you don't have to do any of that just thanks for listening appreciate it and one last word spoon <laughs>podcast and finally there is our twitter page which is twitter.com forward slash comic relief podc i'd like to give a special shout out to travis richards who did the music for the comic relief podcast visit his website at www.travisarichards.com 